And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the second best day of the week. That's right, it's Thursday, getting ready to wrap up. Not just the week, but really technically the month. Now, Monday is actually the end of the month, which is Halloween, but who counts Halloween, right? I mean, that's a that's a holiday. So, <laughs> well, for some people anyway. Um, but yeah, so wrapping up most of the week, uh, really for the month of October, getting ready to move into November. We've talked about that being a little bit uh, seasonally stronger as we get into the seasonally stronger period of the year. Um, also getting through this week, roughly 80% of the S&P 500 reporting earnings. Today, we have the last two kind of big generals uh, that are reporting. Facebook yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, correction, Meta yesterday, uh, reporting earnings. Uh, interesting, you know, uh, interesting issue with, with Meta yesterday. So actually revenue growth was okay. Uh, earnings growth was okay. Daily average users were okay. And, and this is a company that is trading at roughly 14 times forward earnings right now, um, generating, you know, 90 billion in revenue. I mean, it's, it's a big revenue generation company with a, with a big profit margin. The problem is, and what really impacted the stock, stocks will be down sharply this morning following that earnings announcement, it wasn't the earnings that were the problem, right? What was the problem was is that Mark Zuckerberg has refused to cut expenses in a slowing ad revenue environment. In fact, is going all in on the metaverse and the building out of Reality Labs, which is looking to take on another $9 billion in expenses this year. So again, just a ton of money being invested into the metaverse in a, you know, gamble, I guess you could say. He doesn't think it's a gamble, right? He thinks this is a surefire bet that, that, that everybody's going to be in the metaverse. And he's probably right at some point. I mean, we've already seen the, 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 uh, the movie Ready Player One. So we know what the end of the story looks like. <laughs> and, there, you know, and there's actually a new series, and I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now, uh, that's uh, kind of basically the same thing, talking about you know this kind of move into the metaverse where people are just kind of spending their life in this virtual reality and, and all the bad outcomes that occur from that. You know, it's always interesting. You know, everybody's having this great life inside the metaverse. Outside, it just sucks. In reality, right, where we got to actually earn and produce and create things, not so great. But Mark Zuckerberg going all in on this. That is uh, impacting the stock this morning as stock as shareholders were wanting a, a bit of a more controlled environment in terms of spending and expenses, and particularly in an environment where we've seen with Google and others, um, you know, losing ad revenue because of a slowdown in, in the economy as well as a lot of other things. A, a little bit of financial control was what shareholders were looking for. They didn't get it. Stock will be down sharply this morning. Uh, Apple and Amazon report after the, day, the bell today. Um, Apple has already been cutting some expenses, so we'll see if that plays through uh, to shareholders this afternoon. Amazon also, one of the issues that may weigh on Amazon today is not the retail side, which you know, has already kind of been priced into the stock after two prime days this year. People have already kind of seen the, the look at what's happening with 
uh, you know, kind of retail sales on that front. It'll be the cloud services side. Microsoft just recently reported earnings earlier this week, noting weakness in the cloud segment. We'll see if that plays through. Yesterday, a couple of other cloud-based companies actually reported very good earnings. So maybe Microsoft was a one-off on their cloud side. Maybe cloud services are doing okay. And we'll see how that reports out of Amazon uh, this afternoon. So again, a couple of big reports coming out today that could weigh on the markets. Um, outside of that though, uh, outside the generals, which have been under a lot of pressure over the last month, we actually have a note on that this morning in our daily market commentary. So if you go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and click on the daily commentary link, make sure you subscribe. We email it to you every morning before the, the market opens, get you up to date with what's happening in the markets and, and kind of where the markets are trading. Um, one thing that we've noted is that generals have been under a lot of pressure. Now, early this year, and this is something we'll talk about with Michael Leibowitz here in a few minutes, Early this year, we were writing about the fact that the underneath the surface of the market, there was a lot of devastation going on, a lot of stocks down 60 70%, but the generals were holding up the market. Well, they finally come for the generals, and the generals have been selling off in the month of October. So one thing, the good news out of that is we may be getting closer to the end of the bear market than we actually think because we've pretty much are starting to wipe out a lot of these companies to a large degree in terms of price action and selling exhaustion, et cetera. So um, yesterday though, the markets did actually continue to rally here. Uh, we talked about yesterday that we had hit the 50 day moving average, were rejected off of that, tested it again yesterday, failed to get above it, but markets did actually end up higher than where they opened. So again, kind of that bullish action still pulling through. This morning, the Dow's looking to point up about 200 points this morning at the open. So again, may get some follow through buying here. Again, as this market continues to try to rally here a bit, heading into the end of the month. Stock buybacks open up tomorrow as well. So as we move into the month of November, corporations will start buying back their shares. Now that Apple and Amazon, these companies, uh, the big mega caps are the ones that do the share buyback. So now that we're getting through the bulk of those mega cap companies, they can return back to doing share uh, their share buybacks, which will also help provide some buying lift to the markets as we move into the month of November. But again, right now the market's been in a nice uptrend here for about two weeks. Um, again, don't look to don't forget to do a little bit of selling here along the way. Take a little bit of profits, reduce some risk. We're we're likely not out of the woods yet, but if we can get above the 50-day moving average as we talked about yesterday. That does give us a bit of a lift up towards about 4,400 uh, 4, potentially uh, on the index, which would get you about to the 200-day moving average. Now, ironically, that's exactly where we were back in July, August, when we had that very big 17% rally in the markets. Everybody thought the, the, the bear market was over. Uh, it wasn't, and we came back down and retested lows. But again, we now have uh, two things. One, uh, about the markets, and we do have now two levels of a retest of lows in the markets could be starting that, that process again, as we said, too early to tell for sure. We're still moving into next year. We still got rate hikes that we have to deal with, slowing economic growth. A lot of things suggest that we're probably not at the end of the bear market yet. But again, you know, you're starting to see some better action here, at least short term. So be sure and use that to raise some cash, rebalance risk heading into next year. Then we'll just have to kind of feel our way uh, through the process next year as we start getting all the economic data relative to and earnings data, right? We need to start seeing earnings improve and you start seeing profit margins improve. That's probably not going to happen in the first half of next year until we start to see a weaker dollar. That'll be one of the, the, the bigger key, keys for next year in terms of earnings and corporate profits. 40% of corporate revenues, as we said before, come from overseas sales. 
So again, that strong dollar weighing on those overseas sales right now. In fact, we're seeing a lot of currency impacts. Uh, even to uh, Facebook's uh, Meta's report yesterday uh, had currency impacts because of the strong dollar. That is weighing on corporate profit margins. So if the dollar starts to weaken, that could help provide a tailwind to corporate profits next year. Uh, we'll have to, though, just have to wait and see till we get there again. We're kind of a long way off from that. Right now, though, again, given the challenges going forward, the potential risk for a recession yesterday, um, the three-month Treasury yield actually inverted relative to the 10-year Treasury yield. That, that one yield curve has been almost a perfect indicator of recessions in the past. So again, as we start looking across the spectrum of the 10 yield curves that we track, 60% of those are now inverted. And again, once you get above 50% of inversions of yield curves across those 10 major yield curves, you've always had a recession. Uh, so again, the, the risk of recession next year is extremely elevated. Now this morning, we're gonna get GDP out. That is gonna be somewhere between 2.4 and 3%. But again, seeing a bump in GDP prior to a recession is also not uncommon. I know it's kind of, kind of counterintuitive. It's like, how can we have a stronger economy? Well, you get a pickup, you got some pent-up demand here that occurred after the first two quarters this year, get a bit of a pickup, and then the recession starts to set in after that. But again, lots of stuff we'll get into next year as we get there. Right now, we'll come back, pick up with Michael Leibowitz on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Lee was joining me, of course, as well as, as he always does on Thursday to talk about all things markets, Fed, etc. And interestingly enough, I've got an article coming out on Tuesday talking about Treasury illiquidity. Um, and I just want to read to you a, 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 a snippet from an article here that uh, we've kind of been referring to over the last, I guess, two weeks talking about this issue with the Treasury. Three weeks ago, when the topic of collapsing Treasury liquidity was only barely making the rounds despite relentless coverage, um, Treasury liquidity as, the, as one of the main drivers of wholesale market issues. And this, uh, Bank of America is uh, one of their lead strategists, a guy named Mark Cabana, who warned that ongoing liquidity collapse meant a Treasury market breakdown was at risk. And now here's the interesting part about this. What Mark Cabana is now saying is, is that the Fed will likely fix a UST market functioning breakdown by buying bonds. Fed QE would run counter to its aim of tighter financial conditions and slower inflation. Therefore, we might guess any rate market environment intervention would be sterilized. The Fed could do what's called an operation twist. And this is what we did post um, um, QE2 back in 2011 and 12. 
we did this thing called Operation Twist. And we'll get with Mike and we'll explain what Operation Twist is. Um, however, he goes on, to cons- uh, goes on to state, we expect that any UST market breakdown and Fed intervention would be concentrated at the back end of the curve, not the front end. So longer dated duration bonds versus short end. The back end has the most duration risk, most volatility, and least risk-taking willingness. A Fed that needs to support the back end via asset purchases would likely seek to offset it via front-end sales and runoff. So again, the Fed's been talking about quantitative tightening, right? So we've got to reduce the balance sheet. What have they been doing over the last few years? They've been buying short-duration bonds. They've been buying a lot of bills um and the, on their balance sheet and a lot of the longer duration bonds that they were buying in qe1 qe2 qe3 are now starting to ramp up towards maturity so those those bonds are getting a little bit shorter and maturity so what he's saying is is that the fed would be buying the longer duration bonds but still allowing the front end to roll off and since there's a big kind of concentration in their portfolio of shorter duration bonds they would still be able to effectively you know, do the quantitative tightening, as they've been talking about, reduce the size of their balance sheet, but still be buying the back end of the curve. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but just follow through with this for a second. Fed intervention sterilized at the UST front end would likely be met with strong demand. The Fed has nearly $1.25 trillion of UST holdings maturing less than one year including $315 billion in bills. Any front-end sales would likely be offset with strong front-end investor demand. Okay, so here's the long and the short of this. One thing that Mike and I have been talking about now for the last several months is that one of the – and Mike actually just wrote an article about this yesterday. It's on the website right now if, if you want some more details. But that probably one of the best opportunities for investors to buy is – ultimately going to be long durated uh, long duration treasuries two reasons one is that when you get into a recession and a, and a big economic slowdown people shift to they look for a safe haven safe havens tend to be the treasury bonds the other side of this as we've been saying all along is that while they want to fight inflation and hike rates and do all this that's great but at some point if you have a issue of financial instability that is going to have to be addressed and we just saw this with bank of england as they had to start buying bonds back to try to bail out pension funds, we we have the same problems here. And this is what Mark Caban is talking about with B of A. So here, let me stop there. Let me bring Michael Leewitz in, get his initial thoughts. Mike, welcome to the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here's essentially what's going on. There is incredible demand for very short-term treasuries, treasury bills. Everyone wants one month, three months, six month, one year bills that all yield north of 4%. It's a uh, first time we've seen it in such a long time that you can basically sit in cash and earn a somewhat respectable return. It's not that great when you compare it against inflation, but compared to everything we've been used to, 4% plus is, is really nice to get. So, so there's incredible demand for very short-term paper, and there's a lack of demand for long-term paper. As, as yields have been rising, the price of long-term paper has been falling, and, off, and yes, you do get higher coupons. You, know, you are getting close to 4% for 10 and 30-year paper, but it's being more and offset by the change in price. So, so there's great demand for short-term paper, not as much demand for long-term paper. So what the Fed is saying, and the Treasury, uh, is that, well, why don't we 
buy back some of that 10 and 30 year paper, supply some, give some of that demand to the market at the same time, help, help provide supply to the front end of the market so that there's even more paper, one, three, six month paper for investors to buy. Now, Lance, the interesting thing is the Fed can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called Operation Twist, uh, where basically what they would do is sell, you know, a billion worth of a one month treasury bill that they own and buy a billion worth of a 10 year treasury that they will now own. Right. That That's pretty easy. But it's also interesting that the treasury is talking about doing it, too. So this may not be a Fed operation. It may be a treasury operation. And Treasury can technically do it. It would be called debt management. And companies do this kind of stuff all the time. They try to change the profile of their debt to reflect, you know, both what borrowing needs are, but also the the shape of the yield curve. Where can they best take advantage of the yield curve? And from the Treasury's perspective and the Fed's perspective, it's how can they best take advantage of demand? So, so give the where the mark where the most demand is. Give the market paper, and where there's not as much demand, take away some of the supply to the market. So then the question is, is it QE? Well, there you know it's it's you're going to see a lot of headlines. Mm-hmm. So the Fed's doing QE because because they're buying bonds again, and technically yes, they're buying bonds, but it's it's not technically QE because they're buying and selling at the same time. So the Fed's balance sheet as a result of any kind of operation twist, in theory, would stay flat. It wouldn't change. They're buying and selling. But let's get to the the, 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 the crux of the point here is, though, regardless of what you call it, and again, we go back to 2012, 13, et cetera, where we were doing operation twist, and stocks still played that game, right? They, you know, they look right. at operation twist as QE, and so from the stock market perspective, it still kind of works like QE, right? Because- <laughs> you're seeing the, the 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 rotation you know in the asset classes but but again I, you know to your point you know it is it's not QE it's a variation of QE but you know they're still you know buying longer durated bonds from from banks crediting excess reserves that money's still winding back up into the stock market so the market doesn't really see it any differently right the market doesn't, but the, there is a liquidity difference. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's liquidity that matters. And the Fed is not adding or subtracting liquidity be, purely because of Operation Twist. So if the market thinks they're doing it, yes, that may help. But at the end of the day, it's really not helping because the Fed, in theory, will still be doing QT, which is pulling liquidity from the market. The Fed will still be raising rates, which is also pulling liquidity from the market. So. You know, and then there's another risk to it that the market thinks that the Fed, you know, if they are doing QE, QE is associated with inflationary outcomes, that the market will think that the Fed is stoking inflation. And that that poses a whole set of other risks, which may be why the Fed doesn't do this and why the Treasury does it. So it seems like it's not a monetary operation. It's more of a debt management operation that that the Treasury and or Fed thinks they can just sweep under the rug and not, you know, have investors notice. Yeah. And again, you know, this is the interesting part about this is that, you know, the Treasury is in a bad is is in a bad way because, you know, despite the, you know, kind of the headlines we've seen from the White House that they've reduced the deficit by, you know, 50 percent over the last year, they really haven't reduced. Actually, we're spending more money now than we were spending, you know, 
prior to then is just we didn't renew all the checks to households that we did so that, you know, that massive surge and debt that was put on the books. When you measure the deficit on a year-over-year basis, yes, the deficit has declined because we just haven't been issuing all that excess debt to fund spending. But on a normal operating basis, the government is spending more money now than it ever has, and we have a bigger deficit than ever on that basis, which means the Treasury has to issue bonds because almost, well, actually, more than 100 cents of every dollar of tax revenue that's coming in is just going to service mandatory spending. So all the other you know, spending that, that has to be done by the government just to keep things operating has to be done in debt. So the Treasury is in a bad spot of, of, of needing to issue a lot of debt. And potentially, if nobody wants to buy it, that's the real risk. Right. right. I mean, look, everyone, everyone will buy it. The question is the price. Right. Right. At a 10 percent yield, you know, we'll we'll do we'll buy all they can offer. But that, you know, they have to find the right price. And that's what they're trying to do. But they're trying to manipulate the supply of bonds in various sectors to to help the market find the right the price what they consider the right price right well again you know the 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 interesting thing here and and, uh we're about to come up on a break but the interesting thing of course is is you know the treasury's got a problem and the fed's got a problem and the you know the entire bond market has a problem of this lack of liquidity and at some point it's got to be addressed and the more that the fed hikes rates the bigger the problem gets. So, you know, we've talked about numerous times here. It was always a function of time until the Fed hiked, hiked rates to the point that something breaks. And now we're starting to see the impact of that. And the question, of course, now with the Fed set to hike rates again on Tuesday, Wednesday by another 75 basis points, how many more rate hikes can they get away with before something actually does break in the markets? Quick break. We'll be back with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So let's talk talking a little bit about um, you know U.S. Treasury market operations this morning. I know it's a little bit heady for you, but the point is is that 
you know, the government depends on willing buyers to buy bonds in order to fund operations, spending, et cetera. So all the free stuff you want, you know, they got to issue debt to do that. So you got to have buyers for it. And of course, if there's not a buyer, as Mike pointed out, is that you get spiking interest rates. Home mortgage prices hit over 7% this past week. So again, this is the function of higher rates as there's less demand interest, as Mike said, at 10%, you can sell bonds all day long, right? But what happens to the economy at 10%? What happens to inflation at 10%? Because inflation and interest rates track each other closely, because as interest rates go up, the cost of borrowing to produce something goes up, which means I have to pass that, that, you know, that increased cost on the customers, which means their prices go up, which that's inflation, right? So here we are trapped in this whole inflationary mess caused by, you know, $5 trillion worth of liquidity dumped into the market and an economy that was shut down. So we're still trying to work through all of that. We still have these big inflationary pressures weighing on consumer. Of course, this is top of mind right now coming into week after next. November the 8th is midterm elections. And you, you take a look at any survey coming out right now. It's not abortion that's at the top of the list, right? That's not, you know, that's not what the top concern is of voters. It's the economy, it's inflation, it's cost of living. It's it's those things that people talk about around the kitchen table, right? How do we pay bills? How do we put food on the table? How do we make ends meet? That's what voters are voting on. As we've said before, voters vote their pocketbook, right? And and that's what and and again, you're seeing a lot of people right now rethinking how they're going to vote because of this inflationary pressure. Now, it was interesting because there's an article out, um, I think it was on Monday, uh, talking about with recession and mass layoffs imminent, um, even the Democrats are now starting to throw the, the Jerome Powell under the bus, right? I mean, you know, we've seen this before, you know, that uh, during the Trump administration, when the economy was, you know, slowing down and we had that 20% decline in the markets in 2018, President Trump, everybody was like, oh my gosh, President Trump's going to fire Jerome Powell because of this decline in the markets. And of course, Jerome Powell reversed course very quickly and started lowering rates and stopping, you know, stopping quantitative tightening at that point um, and kind of reversed course, right? And so markets kind of got back on their feet. Well, here we are going into an election. Now the Democrats are doing the same thing. Um, you know, now back in July, you remember we talked about this. Um, you know, we saw it was a, there was a, a quote from Bloomberg at the time. that was important for the Fed not to overreact and trigger a recession unnecessarily as part of its effort to, to bring inflation down. So in other words, what Bloomberg said at the time is like, you know, the Fed needs to be real careful, not trigger a recession, you know, trying to bring inflation down. Well, that is now far and away gone. We are probably, <laughs> the, the probabilities are very high we'll be in a recession next year. Um, yield curves are telling you that. Yesterday, the three-month Treasury yield and the 10-year Treasury yield inverted. And that's one of the most, imp there's, there's 10 uh, yield curves that Mike and I track on a regular basis. And when you have more than 50% of those inverted, you have historically always been in a recession in the next 12 months. Well, now we're at 60% with that most recent reversion inversion of the short end of the curve. That's going to get worse before it gets better, by the way, because of the Fed hiking rates. Now, in September, uh, you'll remember we talked about this as well. Elizabeth Warren uh, went after Mr. Powell saying, Chairman Powell just announced another extreme interest rate hike while forecasting higher unemployment. I've been warning that Chair Powell's Fed would throw millions of Americans out of work, and I fear he's already on the path of doing so. Um, and then, of course, just this past week, 
we saw, um, you know, Ohio Democrat uh, Sherrod Brown say, say the same thing. As you know, the Federal Reserve is charged with a dual mandate of promoting maximum employment, stable prices. For the first time in decades, we've seen historic job growth and workers have begun to see wage gains. Now that is all at risk because of what the Fed is doing. Um, so, you know, this is this is, you know, the interesting byline of all this is that Jerome Powell has been being very vocal about fighting inflation and bringing that back under control, which is what everybody wants. Right. But nobody wants to go through the pain required to get inflation down. Let me stop there. Mike, what do you think? No, like everything else, we never want to endure the pain. We always need the quick fix to avoid a downturn or a recession. But I, th I think what's fascinating is Jerome Powell and many members of the Fed are telling us they're going to put us in a recession. They're telling us they want lower home prices. They're telling us they want higher unemployment. They, they, their biggest fear is inflation and inflation is economically unstable. So they recognize that they are going to have to put us, you know, they call it a soft landing. Right. Yeah. Hopefully they're right. But soft landings don't really happen. They're usually harder landings. And the markets are telling us we're headed for a recession. You know, you mentioned the three-month 10-year curve. What's so important about that is that's the Fed's favorite curve. And w you can look at it over the last 20, 30 years, and it has signaled a recession every time. But what's interesting, you know, as we try to look forward, okay, well, when will the recession start now that that yield curve inverted? And the answer varies. So when the yield curve troughs, so when the yield curve gets to its most negative point, it then takes anywhere from three months to a year before you get the official recession uh, declaration by NBER. The problem is we're not even close to troughing because, you know, you, you think about it, it's the three-month yield mm -hmm. less the 10-month yield. Right. Well, the three-month yield reflects what the Fed is doing and what they are going to do. And it's likely the three-month yield still has to rise by another anywhere from half a percent to a full percent. So unless the 10-year yield can fall by half a percent or a full percent while the three-month is going up, this thing isn't going to trough until late this year or early next year. Then you can start the clock. So we may not be talking about a recession till March, April, or even later next year. And like Lance, you said, we are going to get GDP today. Mm -hmm. All expectations are somewhere between two and a half and three percent, which is decent growth. But nominally, growth could be anywhere from 10 to 11 percent. Right. I mean, think about that. We're growing at 10, 11 percent. Now, a big chunk of that is inflation. But nonetheless, for the Fed to start backing off when you have a growth rate that's two to three times what's normal. Mm hmm it's really hard for the fed to do that so the fed is going to continue to walk around with their big stick and threaten <laughs> the market with rate hikes and the market's listening right fed funds futures are up to five percent now and i think more importantly the the pivot is not really priced into the market i know you hear the word pivot by the financial media by the news all the time go on twitter the word pivot shows up every 10 tweets but but that's the reality is that the market is pricing in a Fed that will bring rates up to 5% and stall. 
A stall isn't a pivot. Right. A stall is let's wait and see. Let's see how the lag effect. Let's see how those rate hikes that we did in May and June affect us in January, February, and March. And that's what the Fed has in front of them. They've, they've kind of, by January, February, they will have done, I think, what they need to do. But then they have to wait and see how the, how the economy reacts, how the markets react. And will they need to adjust it further higher or can they start talking about reducing it? And a lot of that's going to come down to inflation. And again, the problem with inflation is that it lags. So we had this past week, we had case Schiller report showed that house prices are really falling quickly. Another report showed that rent prices are really falling quickly. Those reports, just that data in that report is about a month old. And the time it takes for that data, case Schiller data to really show up in the CPI data is another few months, couple months. So yes, inflation is probably falling. If you could do a real time CPI right now, you're going to find that inflation is is probably decently less than everyone thinks it is, but it's not going to show up in any official figure till could be early next year or later this year. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it shows up sooner. But until you really start seeing sustained declines in CPI, especially core CPI, which excludes food and energy, it's going to be really difficult for the Fed to back off what they're doing. Yeah. And again, you know, this is, and, and again, to your original point, which is that, you know, we've just gotten into an environment where nobody wants to endure the pain of, you know, trying to rectify the excesses that are built up. I, and I like uh, Brown's comment um, saying that we must be focused on addressing the root causes of inflation. Okay, that's true. We, we need to do that. We need to focus on the root causes of inflation, but do that without putting workers' livelihoods at risk. In other words, you know, Focus on what caused this, which was sending checks to households after you shut down the economy and put everybody's life, you know, livelihoods at risk. Um, you know, now that we've got them back on the job, we now need to get, you know, work through this process. But we don't want to put people out of work again. Well, the only way to slow demand and bring down prices is to have higher unemployment. You you can't have full employment with rising wages because one of the, one of the things you 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 know that is part of this issue is wage costs. Wage costs have been going up over the course of the last couple of years because we had the shutdown of the economy. We had people coming back. Companies were having to overpay to get workers back to work because a lot of people didn't want to work because they had plenty of money sitting at home. Now that that's all gone through, wages have been coming up, which is also inflationary because that cost has to be passed on. So, you know, what Brown's wanting to have done here is somehow magically bring down inflation without impacting the economy. And that's just... You can't do that. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. So anyway, back after the break, we'll wrap up the show with Mike Leibowitz. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. talking about on the show about those two fishermen that got nabbed for cheating in the fishing competition because they found the fish they were catching stuffed with other fish and weights and Mm -hmm. everything else right and so they they confiscated their fishing boat because that was a tool used in a criminal enterprise so they lost their boat whole nine yards anyway uh, those two fishermen have now pleaded not guilty of cheating at the fishing competition well of course well, of course. Yeah. But they have video evidence of <laughs> them pulling the weights out of the fish. <laughs> so <laughs> not sure not sure how this is going to work out. But we the, caught these fish and they had this the, stuff in them and we had to pull it out. Exactly. Well, no, no, they didn't pull it out. The fishermen didn't pull it out. Somebody had the to judges did. Yeah. yeah, that's where yeah. they got caught. Yeah. So no, they can't they can't claim that but they, they pulled it out. They didn't see them put it in. Yeah. That's gonna be yeah. their defense. There, yeah, Could have the, been anybody. The fish the fish swallowed the weights. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just have to get lucky to catch it. I saw the, the jo- I saw the Jaws movie, right? <laughs> Back in the original Jaws movie where they cut the shark open, they're pulling out license plates and oh, bumpers yeah. uh, and body parts and everything exactly. else. Yeah. So <laughs> that's all that happened. They just swallowed the weights mm-hmm. and a Buick. Other than that, it's all good. Um, all right, so earlier this year, I wrote an article talking about the devastation below the surface of the market. And, and at that time, while the market was only down you know, 8 9 10% from, the, from its peak, underneath the surface, we were talking about you know, these companies that were particularly owned by you know, the ETF, uh, you know, Kathy Wood's ETF ARC. Uh, innovation fund. A lot of those stocks were down 30, 40, 50% at the time and had gotten worse uh, as we've gone on. Others are now down 60, 70%. And what was supporting the market, though, was the top 20 stocks in the S&P 500 index. Because of passive indexing, we saw these money flows going into you know, S&P 500 ETFs. Out of out of that, even though the top 20 stocks only make up 4% of the index in terms of number, they make up 40% of the capitalization of the index. So 40 cents out of every dollar that goes into an S&P 500 ETF goes into those top 20 stocks. And so that was keeping the, the S&P elevated in terms of you know the S&P the index wasn't going down as much as the bottom you know 480 stocks in the index which were just getting monkey hammered and so one thing we talked about back then is that that was the illusion of the index underneath the surface there was a lot of devastation going on and of course now um, eight of the top 20 companies have lost more than a hundred billion in market cap. As of Wednesday, Microsoft was down 780 billion, Alphabet down 650 billion, 
Uh, Facebook was down $555 billion before uh, this morning. It'll be down a lot more than that. Um, NVIDIA, Apple, Amazon have each lost more than $400 billion since the start of 2022. So the point is, is that they're now coming after the generals, right? So they've pretty much liquidated everything else in the market. So now they're coming after those generals. And so there's kind of good news, bad news here. Um, the bad news is, is that because those top 20 stocks make up 40% of the market cap of the index, it's weighing on the index. So this is why it's been a really tough road for the index over the last month. The good news out of this is, is that by the time they come for the generals, in an index, and this is going through previous bear markets, that tends to be one of the latter stages of the bear market, right? We've sold everything else in my portfolio, so now I've got to finally sell the big guys, right? My, my, my core holdings. And so we're getting down to that structure. Um, so that you know, so one of the, the the positive aspects of this is that it doesn't mean the markets are set to go up uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, we may get getting to the point of where a lot of these massive down days and, and terrible months where the markets are down four or five percent a month may be starting to get to be more of a behind us type situation. Again, still a tough road to, to go ahead, particularly if we get into a recession. But we may be getting closer to the end of this just exhaustive selling that we've had all this year, which it's just been it's been exhausting this year. We've had more negative days this year so far than any other year going back to 1974. So just a tremendous number of negative days this year. And just it just weighs on consumer sentiment. I mean, it just kind of wears people out. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, you're right. Uh, but I think what's interesting is there are companies that are what I would say are washed out. They've just gotten beaten up so, so much that, yes, they can fall further, but th they represent value. You know, we're talking about meta. Like mm -hmm. I never, you know, a year ago, if you would have said, let's buy Meta, it's a value stock, I'd say you're crazy. It's not a value stock. Well, now trades after yesterday's earnings with a PE of eight, a trailing 12 months PE of eight and a forward PE, I think of what, 12 or 13. Yep. That's where value companies are. You have an, a, a uh, CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, that whether you whether you believe in it or matter or not, he's investing in the future of what he thinks is the future of that company. So this isn't a company with a PE of eight that's a utility that's just looking for steady four or five percent growth in its earnings and its revenues. And we'll just plod along and pay a nice dividend. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with those companies. Those are great companies, too. But Meta is still potentially a very high growth company. And if Zuckerberg is only half right on what the meta metaverse is in the future, the stock is a bargain. Again, it doesn't mean it can't go down, but now you're introducing value hunters into what has traditionally been not a value stock. And that's true for some of Kathy Wood's holdings too. Mm -hmm. There, some of them are down 80, 90%. These are companies that are not going out of business. They were grossly overpriced. But now, in some cases, they're grossly underpriced. They're still very high growth. And Lance, the important thing to think about with high growth is they are more sensitive to higher interest rates. And I'm writing an article about this for next week. But when we start seeing interest rates go down, mm -hmm. technology stocks, particularly the higher growth technology stocks, higher future growth, those that have you know big revenue ramps in the future, should start outperforming the market.
again, doesn't mean they're going to go up, but they should probably do better than the market. Maybe yeah. that means going down less. Uh, so interest rates are playing a big, big key here. There's a lot of washed out companies. Markets can still go lower. They can, in theory, still go a lot lower. But but for stock pickers, there's a lot of opportunities to buy a few things here to sit on them and kind of shut your eyes because they are deep value and they are opportunities. And when we look back on them in a year or two, they, they may be great buys. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, you think about U.S. Treasuries now or corporate. You can buy good quality corporate bonds near six percent. When was the last time that we could buy <laughs> bonds, corporate bonds or treasury bonds that were were appealing at all to us? Right. So so we're getting to levels where a longer term investor should kind of, you know, hold their nose and start thinking about buying things that over the next few years will reward them for their for their bravery. But, you know, but that's that's always the big problem. Right. I mean, you know, you know, two years or three years ago. Right. So here it is, 2020 coming out of the out of the pandemic. Right. Nobody wanted to buy stocks. And then, you know, as the Fed starts doing QE and all this, you know, all everybody wanted to do was buy stocks. And they were buying the worst quality stocks on the way up. Nobody wanted to own bonds because yields were low. Right. So and that, and OK, that makes sense. Right. All the you know, you're making all this money in stocks. It's great. You know, and but even back then, you know, people were saying, you know, if I could just get four percent you know, on an annual basis, I'm good for retirement. All I need is to make is 4%. And now you've got corporate bonds at six and they don't want them, right? right. So, you know, it's, it's always about psychology. You know, we always say we want one thing until something else is doing something different. And, you know, markets, you know, and, and again, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people are making right now, we see a lot of people running out and they're buying, you know, two-year treasury bonds to get a 4% yield. And there's a lot of demand for those treasury bonds. The problem is, is that as soon as this market bottoms and starts to go up, markets are going to go up 10, 20, 30 percent a year for a couple of years. That's the way that's just the way it happens coming out of a bear market. You get these big returns in the market. And now there's you know all these people stuck in four percent treasuries going, what am I doing over here when I need to be in equities? Right. And so, you know, it's, it's always kind of jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And to your point. You know, if you can if you can muster up the, the 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 fortitude, there's a lot of companies that are selling at very deep discounts right now. That you know, again, to your point, they could go down some more in the next you know six, eight, ten months, but they're probably closer to a bottom than not. And the upside potential for some of these companies is is pretty dramatic. And and for the first time, stock pickers are finally rewarded. Yeah, it's been a long time since it's been a stock pickers market. So those that can pick stocks, those that can find these these value type stocks will probably do much better than those that are just buying the indices, mm -hmm. that are buying the uh, the balance funds that are that are basically passive investing, which has been all the rage for the last almost 20 years now. Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of one of the interesting things, too, is, is you know, could we see for the first time, you know, where, you know, normally, you know, stocks aren't cratering prior to a recession, right? And and this will be mm -hmm. one of the interesting things this time around because of the way, you know, that things have worked out because of the influx of money that led to a lot of speculation in the markets. You know, we had this decline this year in the market, Fed's hiking interest rates, um, but we may not get into a recession until next year. And so you have one second to answer this question. Could we actually be in, a, in an environment where we might have a recession and stocks actually go up for a change? Sure. 
Sure. You get to a cheap enough price. It doesn't matter, yeah. right? It's all about price, that's just especially gonna, if inflation starts coming down. I know, and that's just going to screw up a decade's worth of, of analysis. So anyway, all right, Mike, thanks so much. All right, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, Mike's article we talked about is on the website now talking about you know treasury yields and bonds and why they could be a, one of the best opportunities to buy. Also, we touch on that again in today's Daily Market Commentary. That's on the website as well. Simply go by there. Make sure you subscribe to our Daily Market Commentary and our newsletter. Those two different lists, but you get updated constantly about what's going on with the markets and your money. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.